0: Well, as you guys know, we are in um, a series that we're calling Solomon Says. This is week three of the series. We're going to wrap it up next week. And have you been enjoying going through Proverbs this month, anybody? Solomon says, if you've been enjoying going through Proverbs this month, raise your right hand. All right. Very good. Solomon says you can put that down. We're not going to do that all morning like we did a few weeks ago, but, but there is some good stuff. In Proverbs, right? Uh, who's, who's been pretty consistent going through almost every day? You got every day? All right, a good amount of hands are going up. Now, as we've gone through Proverbs, you may have noticed this too. There's some Proverbs that are really just funny or interesting or peculiar might be a better word. And you read it, and you're like, that's in the Bible? And it just sounds like that's an odd Bible verse. And so I wanted to share a couple of those that I've discovered over the past few weeks. And then when you read your Proverbs today, Proverbs uh, 25, you're going to discover there's a whole bunch of them in Proverbs 25, and I'll share a few of those today as well. So here's one in Proverbs 15. It's Proverbs 15, 17. And it says, a bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. Can anybody relate to that? (laughs) right? I mean, I I love a good steak, but if it's in bad company, I mean, you're just eating that thing as fast as you can just to get out of that spot, right? And so sometimes you can have a a bowl of vegetables and you'll sit there for hours because you're in good company. Uh, Here's another one speaking of, of good company. Check this out. This is Proverbs 21, verse 9. It is better to live alone in the corner of an attic... Than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. Can I get a show of hands? I'm just kidding. I do not want to start any any uh, fights here this morning at church. Um, uh, but like I said, today is the 25th of June and we got a bunch in the the proverb that you're going to read today if you haven't read that already today. Uh, here's one in Proverbs 25:16. It says, do you like honey? Don't eat too much or it will make you sick. Okay, it says, you know, pretty obvious. Uh, Honey might not be your indulgence, but think of the thing that if you were to have too much of a good thing, it would probably become a bad thing. Well, that's that's a proverb for honey right there. Uh, The next verse is pretty funny. It says, don't visit your neighbors too often or you will wear out your welcome. And some of you might be thinking of a particular neighbor who has worn out their welcome or or maybe you're the particular neighbor and you, you go knock on your, their door, right? The lights are on. You saw the car go in the garage, but nobody's answering. Yeah, maybe you have worn out your welcome there, your neighbors. Uh, Proverbs 25, 19 says, Putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking with a lame foot. And that is pretty descriptive there, King Solomon, right? (laughs) That sounds painful, too. Uh, The next verse in verse 20 says, singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. I've never had vinegar poured into an open wound, but that just sounds miserable. But have you ever been kind of down in the dumps and then you got this friend who's just singing cheery, happy songs? Like, there's there's a proverb there for that. All right, And uh, one more. It says uh, in Proverbs 25, 27, it's not good to eat too much honey. There he goes, talking about honey again. It's not good to eat too much honey, and it's not good to seek honors for yourself. And I find it interesting that in this same verse that Solomon compares seeking honor for yourself with overindulging in too much honey. But I can kind of see the comparison. You can see how how both of them can leave you feeling sick, full of regrets, and probably very unappealing. To those around you. Well, today we're gonna be talking about humility. And C.S. Lewis, he defined humility this way He said, True true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. The opposite of humility is pride. You see, pride, uh, while humility is not self seeking, pride is self seeking. See, pride says, Look at me, look at what I've accomplished, look how good I am. Pride says, I should get to go first. I should be rewarded. Pride says, I should be recognized for what I've done or for how great I am. But Solomon says, it's not good to seek honors for yourself. So instead of seeking honor for yourself, we need to learn how to walk in humility. And so the title of today's message is this. Solomon says, walk in humility. Now, I come from a family that generationally has struggled with pride. My, uh, my grandparents, who came from a very proud uh, British upbringing, uh, my aunts, my uncles, my dad, even many of my siblings, we have all shown straight, uh, traits of being extremely proud. Now, in their defense, uh, everyone that I mentioned, they are very accomplished. They're hard workers. And they've accomplished so much from education to wealth. There's accomplished musicians and business tycoons in my family. And they all love to talk about those accomplishments. Now, not only do they enjoy bragging about their accomplishments and all the things that have paid off due to their hard work, but there's been a running joke in the Snowden family that a Snowden will never admit to being wrong. And man, I've tried my best to keep that going, but sometimes I'm just so blatantly, blatantly wrong that even I have to admit, yes, I was wrong. I messed up. I made a boo-boo. And, and so I can attest that you know I come from a very proud and stubborn bunch. We work hard at what we do. We put a lot of effort and time into making right decisions. But man, we just hate it when someone points that, that out in our lives that we made a poor decision. Now often, when I look at my family, I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not as bad as them. I don't struggle with pride as bad as the rest of my family. But then my wife will say something like, Jacob, when I'm in trouble, she doesn't call me Jake. She calls me Jacob. She's like, Jacob, you just can't be wrong. You just always have to be right, don't you? And I like to say, I don't have to be right. I just like to be right, you know, and I feel like I put a lot of time and effort into being right. I see a lot of you looking at your neighbor, too, here, but I I put a lot of time and effort into trying to make the right decision. But then it's hard for me to realize that all that time and effort and I still ended up making a bad decision. It's hard for me to admit that and to ask for forgiveness and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. So growing up in a family where I knew that pride and stubbornness was an issue. Uh, I knew that I had to be very intentional and that I had to put in a lot of effort to become a less prideful person and to try my best to walk in humility. And you know, I think that we all struggle with pride on some level. And I think it's because deep down, what do we want? We all want to be loved and we all wanted to be accepted. And when we fear that others aren't going to love us and accept us right away, Pride creeps in, and pride will tempt us. Pride will tempt us to talk more about ourselves. Pride will tempt us to promote ourselves. Pride will tempt us to look out for ourselves by putting ourselves first or by putting others down and somehow hoping that by putting others down, that somehow that's going to make us look better in the process. You see, pride is at the root of fear and anxiety. And so as we're going through the book of Proverbs this month, today I want us to focus on what we can learn from King Solomon when it comes to pride and humility. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, go ahead and make your way to Proverbs chapter 6, Now, as I shared a few weeks ago, the first nine chapters of Proverbs are from the perspective of a father giving fatherly advice to his son. And so Proverbs 6 begins off with some of that fatherly advice, and some of this advice that he's giving his son, it's about making wise financial agreements, it's about working hard and avoiding laziness. He's given his son advice, reminding him, his son, to stay away from wicked people. And then, right in the middle of this chapter, chapter 6, the father tells his son about a few things that the Lord hates. And so we're going to pick it up right here in Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 16. It says, There are six things the Lord hates, no seven things he detests haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies. A person who sows a discord in a family. You know, there are over 600 sins mentioned in the Bible. And and you can make a case that God hates all 600 sins. Uh, Not just these six or seven that I've just mentioned in this passage. But even though God hates sin, I want you guys to, to get this today. Even though God hates sin, he does not hate sinners. Now, I know that hate is a strong word, and we don't even like saying it. Even as parents, it's hard for us to say that we truly hate anything that our kids do. No matter how bad it is, we truly, it's hard for us to say we truly hate that. And because you know we don't hate our kids, right? But sometimes they do things that we really, 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 really dislike, like cheating on a test. Or how about when they just look at you and they lie straight to your face? Don't we just really dislike that? When they physically hurt another sibling, sneaking out of the house, disrespecting you in public, no matter how much our children do these things, we never hate our kids, even though we hate their actions, right? It's the same way with God. No matter what our our behavior, no matter our attitudes, our actions, God, though he hates the sin, he still loves you very much. In fact, God loves sinners so much that this is what he did. John 3.16, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Verse 17, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And get this, God did this while we were still sinners. While we were still actively and consciously living in our mess, God gave his son he didn't wait for us to be perfect. He didn't wait for us to get it all figured out. He didn't wait for us to go to intro to epic. God gave his son. In Romans 5:8 it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So over 600 sins mentioned throughout the Bible. But in this proverb, the father chooses to focus on these six or seven things that the Lord hates, seven he detests. And what I find interesting about this list is the very first thing that he lists is haughty eyes. Now, what are haughty eyes? Uh, Merriam-Webster defines haughty as blatantly and disdainfully proud. Blatantly and disdainfully proud. When you do something blatantly, you do it openly and ashamed. You don't even care. And what does it mean to be disdainfully proud? Disdainfully is an adverb defined as the feeling that somebody or something is not good enough to deserve your respect or attention. Man, ouch. If, that, if that's you, that, that's ouch. I would treat somebody that way and not even give them my attention? Now I would say that many people who are disdainfully proud or arrogant, at many times, they're not even aware of it. And I think the reason they're not aware of it is because they've lived that way for so long, that they've become immune to it. They don't even see it in themselves anymore. They don't realize that they're acting in a way that, that shows that they are superior to others around them. You know, it's always easier to see the faults in other people, right, than to see it in ourselves. And so before you you assume that, you know, today's message of humility, walking in humility, before you assume that this message is not for you, I want to give you a few indicators or symptoms to help you determine whether you have any pride in your life that you may need to work on. Now, some of these things are going to be difficult to hear, and so I thought one way that we could kind of lessen the blow a little bit is to deliver in a little more mild, and playful manner. Now, do you remember the bit that made the comedian Jeff Foxworthy famous many years ago? He delivered a lot of truth that resonated with a lot of people, especially here in the South. But he did it in a way that allowed people to laugh at some of the things that they were struggling with. So I'm going to borrow from his approach today and call this list, you might be struggling with pride if. And I want you to know that if you see several things on this list that you're struggling with, it's okay. You're in a safe place. I'm struggling with many of these things on the list. The person in the row beside you, behind you, there's a good chance they're struggling with these things, too. They're areas that we can all work on. We can all grow together. We could all use less arrogance and more humility in our lives, right? Now, for those of you note takers out there, I just want to kind of help guide you through this. I'm going to be giving you two lists simultaneously. And so I've got eight points for you. You're going to have the the first point. It's going to be a symptom. Then I'm going to give you some supporting text from scripture. And then I'm going to give you a solution. So you'll kind of have eight symptoms and eight solutions. So it'll probably be easiest if you're taking physical notes to make two lists to keep that going. So let's start with an obvious one. First one, if it's all about you, you might be struggling with pride. And Pastor Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, look at the very first few words of the book. It's not about you. It's not about you. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. In Proverbs 3, Solomon says this. says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. And in Proverbs 19, 21, Solomon says, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Now, we all make plans for our life, don't we? And making plans is wrong, but when we make plans for our lives, more often than not, what do they do? We make a plan, and and those plans kind of center around who? They center around us. What is it that I like? Where do I like to eat? What are my preferences? Where do I want to go? Where do I see myself in five years? Where do I see myself 20 years from now? Everything that we do, we kind of shift toward our likes and our preferences. It's almost like it's all about us. But when you walk in humility, you must be willing to give up your plans and submit to his will. So are you willing to give up your plans? Are you willing to submit to his will, submit to his purpose? You know, even Jesus, moments before he endured the cross, even Jesus submitted to His Father's will. Look at his prayer in the garden. He's sweating drops of blood, and he's crying out to God, and he says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Another way to know if you might be struggling with pride, if you are always looking to get a seat at a more prominent table, you might be struggling with pride. In Proverbs 25, 6, and 7, Solomon says, Don't demand an audience with the king or push for a place among the great. It's better to wait for an invitation to the head table than to be sent away in public disgrace. There's a similar passage in Luke chapter 14, and Jesus is teaching about humility, and he's telling the story about guests who are invited to a wedding feast. And he's encouraging them that when they go into the feast and they try to find a place to sit, he tells them to avoid sitting in the places of honor. Instead, he tells them to take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So when you walk in humility, you must be willing to take the lowest position. Be patient. Wait for others to honor you. Don't try to honor or exalt yourself. Here's a surefire way. This next one to know if you might be struggling struggling with pride. If you always call shotgun, you might be struggling with pride. Now hear me out. This goes back to the whole the whole world doesn't revolve around you kind of thing. Why not let someone else take the seat that has the most legroom? The one that can control the radio, right? Why not give that to someone else? At the very least, go 50-50. Take turns and alternate. You know, say, all right, you can have shotgun on the way. Do you mind if I sit there on the way back? At least, at the very least, go 50-50. But don't always be calling shotgun, unless, of course, you don't want a lot of friends. Now, (laughs) i want to share an example here about this. So we all know that bragging is bad, right? Bragging is wrong. But that's when you're bragging about yourself. So I want to brag on our pastor for just a moment here. So when I first came on staff back in January, uh, Pastor Trent wanted me to meet many of the elders and leaders in our church. And so he'd have them drive to the church office. And we'd go to lunch. And so we'd walk out of the church office, head toward the car. And every single time, Pastor Trent would either open the door and give me shotgun, or he'd say, you go ahead and take the front seat. Now, that might seem like such a small little thing. But I think it says a whole lot about the character and about what Pastor Trent was trying to do. He was trying to show me that he's not more important than me. Yes, he's my boss, but he's giving me a better seat. He didn't have to do that. He had every right to take the front seat. And for me to sit in the back, I would have thought nothing of it. But church, I am so glad to be able to be part of a church where we have senior leadership who's acting in a Christ-like way and, and can model that servant leadership for us, aren't you? And I know Trent would hate it if I was saying that, so I'm sure he's, he's probably watching this right now and saying, shut up, stop talking, Jake. But I think it's great that we have a pastor who, who models that for us. man, let's, let's give it up for Pastor Trent. Now, many of you might be thinking, okay, that's great advice. Don't call a shotgun. But I don't really do that anymore. That would have been great advice from my high school or my college days, Right. But I wanna challenge you a little bit because there's ways that we call shotgun in our life today without even realizing it. I'll give you an example. Let's take the example right here of church. So take a look around. Where did you sit last week? Are you sitting in the same seat you sat in today? Where did you park last week when you pulled into church? Did you park in the spot that was the closest available spot? Or did you intentionally drive a little bit farther, leaving some closer spots, thinking there's going to be people who are running late. It might be nice for them to have a closer spot. I'm going to take the farther spot. You know, that's that's one area in our lives where we kind of, without even realizing it, call shotgun. We want to take the seat that we're most comfortable in, that we like, that we feel nice and cozy here, that we have the best angle that I can see. I can see, you know, Matt singing the song, and I can see the lyrics all the same time. This is my spot, my seat. We have our parking spot that we like, because we can get here quick. Well, what about, instead of getting here, being the first one in, and getting your seat, why not next week, give your parking spot that you were to take, and take a farther one? Why not, instead of taking your comfortable spot there, come forward a couple close. We have a whole, a whole front row right here that, that's open. But when you scoot forward a little bit, guess what it does? For our guests or for people who have kids who are running late and they're trying to figure out the, ch- the kid check-in process and they come in here, guess what they can do? They can slide into one of these last rows without having to walk down to the front row and feeling embarrassed for being a couple minutes late. But that's one area in our life where we can kind of defer shotgun, defer our preferences, and give the best to somebody else. So this principle, it's a principle that we all know. We were taught from an early age. It's, it's found in Luke 6.31. It's known as the golden rule. Do to others as you would like them do to you. When you walk in humility, you treat others the way you would like to be treated. Here's one that I'm sure many of us have experienced at times. If you are too good to perform certain tasks, you might be struggling with pride. It's funny how we're always willing to do things that are above our pay grade, isn't it? But how willing are you to do the things that seem to be a little bit not part of your job description, or maybe, dare I even say, kind of beneath you. Taking out the trash, using a plunger to unclog a toilet, especially if you weren't the one that clogged it. When you get up from a table, do you ask others if they need a refill? Do you pick up their trash? Are you willing to take their trash and, and put it in the trash bin as well? Have you ever caught yourself saying this? I, of all people, shouldn't be doing this. If that's a thought that goes through your head, you might be struggling with pride in that area. Let's look at Jesus and how he served his disciples. Jesus, of all people, look at this. He served in this way. Jesus, the creator of heaven, the universe, the earth, what did he do? He put a towel around his waist, and he knelt down. He took his, the dirty feet of his disciples and put them in water and began to scrub between their toes to scrub the dirt off their heels. This was Jesus modeling that force. And Jesus says, do you see what I have done for you? He says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Are you willing to serve the way that Jesus served? Because when you walk in humility, you accept that there is no job that is too small, that there is no job that is beneath you. And here's an indicator of pride that I've had to work on throughout my life. If you think you can do everything on your own, you might be struggling with pride. You know, God didn't create us to be 100% self-sufficient, did he? Even when God created Adam in the garden, this is what he said. He said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And as Christ followers, we're all called to be a part of the church, a part We all play a part. Some of us are hands, some of us are feet, some are eyes, some are ears, but we all play a part in the body of Christ. You know, one of the things I love so much about canyoneering, this uh, sport that I do out in in Utah, is that you can't do everything on your own. You're very dependent upon the people that you set out with. There's a lot of teamwork involved, and each person brings a different skill set to the group. I started doing this sport about 13 years ago. This is my buddy Paul. He turned 60 this year, and he got me into this sport. And one of the things that he brings to the group is just this wealth of knowledge, especially about terrain. He's a civil engineer, and he understands the way that terrain works. He understands topography maps. And so when we're out, even though when we feel lost, he still knows exactly where we are. He's able to read those maps and make sure that we get on the right uh, trailhead and get to the right repel zones. Uh, my buddy Scott here. Uh, he's, he's very skilled when it comes to rope work and knots. He took some extra courses, that uh, canyoneering classes. And so when we're stuck in a pinch and we can't figure a way out or we don't have enough rope, somehow he has a knot or a solution, and he can come up with something amazing. My buddy Blake right here, he's, been, um, uh, he's also a, a very skilled rock climber, which comes in very handy at times. He's also an EMT. He's training to be a firefighter. And so if we have an injury, he just happens to have a brace. He happens to have a wrap. He happens to have exactly what we need. And so as I, as I look through this group of guys, sometimes I wonder, what, what skill set do I even bring to this team? Because I always just feel like I'm the guy who gets stuck with the 300-foot rope. It's like I'm just the guy who can carry heavy things for a long time. So I feel like I'm just the mule of the group carrying the heavy stuff. Uh, but all those gifts and talents come together, and that plays so important when you're out in the wilderness and you're relying upon other's skills and abilities. Now listen to what Solomon says in another book of the Bible which he authored. This is taken from Ecclesiastes, and it's talking how important it is to be part of a team. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12, Solomon says this. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Now, if you think that you can do everything on your own, you're not only failing to recognize your own shortcomings, you're failing to see the value in others. That is a sign of pride, and that's a sign of arrogance. You were not created to be a one-man or a one-woman show. When you walk in humility, you recognize the importance of collaboration, companionship, and teamwork. Don't try to do everything on your own. We're better together. Here's an indicator of pride that annoys many of us when we see it, or should I say, when we hear it from others. If you talk about yourself a lot, you might be struggling with pride. Now, doesn't it drive you crazy when when someone's always talking about themselves and they're always promoting themselves? Well, if it drives you crazy when others do it, how do you think you sound when you do it? Proverbs 27 two Solomon says, let someone else praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. Are you consistently reminding people of your title, of your position, of your education level, or your financial status? When we hype ourselves up and our accomplishments, that's called boasting. And listen to what the Lord says about boasting in Jeremiah 9. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love, and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth, and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. You know, with the influx of social media these days, there's so many different ways that we promote ourselves and bring attention to ourselves. And sometimes we don't even realize it. And so you have to be very careful in today's world. You know, you might be putting out a simple post of you doing your morning devotions. And I'm sure you've all seen this before, where there's this this perfectly placed coffee cup that says blessed on it next to a little short stack of devotionals and the lights coming through the window with just the perfect angle. If it took you 15 minutes to create that, And then it only left you with three minutes to do your devotional. What's that really saying? You're promoting, you're putting an image out there that doesn't really exist. You're saying, I'm so good. I did my devotionals, but you didn't even have time to do your devotional. And so when you walk in humility, you refrain from self-promotion. If you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. I've just got two more for you guys and then we'll wrap up. This next one. I would argue this next one's even a little more annoying than self-promotion. And I apologize because I am very guilty of this. And if I've done this to you, I'm sorry. See, look, Snowdens can say they're sorry. All right. But when someone else is sharing a story, don't need to make it all about you. So if you have to one up everybody, you might be struggling with pride. Have you ever been around a friend who's sharing a story? they're not even finished with your story, but you're already thinking about how much cooler your story is. So the second they take a break, you jump in and pounce on it. You just made it all about you. If someone's giving up on themselves and they're sharing a story for the benefit of the group, let that be the spotlight. Don't feel like you have to one up and pounce it. Just keep your story to yourself. Just keep your story to yourself. Let them, they've already made the point. Everyone's enjoying it. Don't steal the spotlight from them. Resist the temptation to one up everybody. Like I said, I struggle with this one a lot and the older I'm getting, guess what? The more stories I'm going to have, right? That's just one of the side effects of getting older. And so I have to be aware to not take away the spotlight when someone else is sharing their story. When you walk in humility, you resist the temptation to steal the spotlight. Now there's many more indicators of pride and arrogance than we have time to discuss today, but I'll leave you with this last one. If you ignore the advice of others, you might be struggling with pride. In Proverbs 12, Solomon says that if you do this, he says you're a fool. Fools think that their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Now granted, all advice is not gonna be good advice. All counsel is not gonna be good counsel. But if you so quickly assume that your way is right, that you dismiss other people's advice, that you dismiss their perspectives entirely, you're just fooling yourself. See, there's value in looking at things from someone else's perspective. Even if they're not as skilled as you, even if they're not as proficient as you, their perspective still has value. Their perspective still has insight. You don't need to take it and do everything with it, but consider it. Consider advice from many sources, and then when you collect all the data, then sort through it, compare it, hold it up to God's word, and then make a decision. What's that called? That's called discernment. But when you so quickly just go with, oh, I got it figured out, I'm good, you're eliminating the process of discernment. Of discernment. So bring in, gather all that information. Pray about it. Look into the word, see what the word says and then make a decision. Pride says, I don't need your help. I have it all figured out. Pride says, I can do it on my own. But Solomon says, pride ends in humiliation, while humility brings honor. Pride ends in humiliation. Have you ever thought you had something all figured out and then it didn't work out quite as you had planned? And man, you wish so much that you could have a do over. You wish that you could go back and heed the advice and heed the counsel. You're like, oh, man, maybe I should have gotten a little more perspective on that. But it's too late. You find yourself lying flat on your face in a pool of regret, drowning in humiliation. Pride ends in humiliation, while humility brings honor. Solomon says, get all the advice and instruction you can so you'll be wise the rest of your life. When you walk in humility, you seek out advice and instruction, be willing to seek out advice and instruction. Here's the best advice I can give you. If you want to live in a way that honors God and honors others, choose to walk in humility. But in order to truly walk in humility, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Paul writes this, I love the way that Paul writes this in, in Philippians chapter two. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You know, I think one of the things I love so much about canyoneering and spending time outdoors in Zion, is that it keeps me in check and it it truly humbles me. It reminds me that I can't do it alone. It reminds me that I'm dependent upon other people's skill, other people's advice. And you know, there's times when we're we're canyoneering and we spend all day hiking eight to 12 miles down canyon, rappelling down mountains and, and ledges, overcoming obstacles all along the way. And I was just talking about this with my buddies this week. It's funny how it can require, we had six of us on this trip, It can take a collective group of all of our thoughts, all of our research, all of our beta that we did, all of our gear, all the rope, all of our hard work, all of our effort to navigate through this little 8 to 12 mile crack in the side of a mountain. But then when you zoom out, you zoom out. It took all this work for us to get through this little section of this mountain. And you zoom out and it's a tiny little crack in the side of a mountain in the corner of a state. And you're like, man, that took so much work. And it's just this tiny little blip. And canyoneering might not resonate with you, but there's something in your life where it takes so much time and effort, but it's just this tiny little crack in the universe of where you spend your life. And the other night we were sitting under these stars, and this is a picture I took a few years ago, and I actually blew this up and I have it in my, uh, in my office right in front of me, and it, it keeps me in check because This campground here, it's called the Watchman. And this is the mountain here. It's like it watches over this campground. But what I see is I see that God's watching over all of us. And in the vastness of his universe, the vastness of his creation, I just spent all my effort trying to get through a tiny little crack of his universe and I'm exhausted. And then at the end of the day, we, we sit around the campfire, we lay on the picnic tables and stare up at the sky. And there's moments where you just feel so insignificant. You feel so small. But the same God who created this universe is the same God who created me. the same God who created the stars in the sky, he was willing to leave the heavens to come to earth for me, to save me. And church, let me tell you, that is truly humbling that the God of this universe created me, loves me, was willing to die for me. It doesn't matter how great you think you are. You may have accomplished a lot of impressive things here on Earth, but when it comes to your eternity, Jesus is the only one who can help you. Philippians 2 goes on to talk about how Jesus became a perfect demonstration of humility. Philippians 2, verse 7 it says, He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The God of the universe took on the position of a slave and died a criminal's death in my place so that I can be saved. Like I said, when it comes to your eternity, it doesn't matter what you think you can brag on in your life, what achievements you've done. only comes down to Jesus. You can't do anything to affect your eternity except humble yourself before God and say, I'm a sinner. I know you hate the sin that I've done, but I know that you love me. Ask him to forgive you of your sin and ask him to come into your life and to be the Lord of your life and to submit to his plan and to submit to his will. It's our only response to humble ourselves and to declare him as Lord. You know, some of you, maybe you've been coming to church for a little while and you're still just new and checking out this whole thing. And I know the world wants to tell us that there's so many ways to get to heaven that everybody's right because what they perceive. No, Solomon's telling us it's not what you think. That's not just because you think it doesn't make it true. The only way to God is through Jesus. It's not through your works of being a good person. It's not through anything you can do on your own. It's only through Jesus. So I want to give you a chance this morning to say a prayer and to invite Jesus to come in and to be the Lord of your life. And maybe you've done that before. Maybe you've never done that before. But if you need to humble yourself before God and say, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Be the Lord of my life. I want to give you a chance to do that today. So all across the room, if you can close your eyes and bow your heads, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And feel free to say this prayer out loud or you can say it in the quieter of your heart. If you said a prayer like this before but you wanna say it again today and make a rededication of like, God, I need you to be the Lord of my life. You can say that again or you can say say it for the first time. Just simply repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. I know that you left heaven Came to earth to die for me thank you for dying for me and making a way for me to have eternity with you Lord I invite you to be the Lord of my life come into my life today thank you for saving me In Jesus name Amen and keep your eyes closed for just a moment If you said that prayer today and you meant it, whether it was your first time or your 10th time, we'd love to be able to pray for you. If you can just real quickly help us out and just lift your hand up, let us know that you said that prayer today. I see some hands in the back, thank you. I see another hand, thank you, thank you, thank you. Your hand's not the only, up. there's there's hands going up all across the room, thank you, thank you. We'll pray for you, we're gonna pray for you. one last chance. Anyone, if I haven't seen your hand, just slip it up real quick. Thank you. God, we thank you for each and every person who prayed that prayer today, declaring you to be the Lord of their life, Father. God, and we know that that's all that it takes to have an eternity with you is to declare you as Lord of their life. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you will use this church, that you will use this community of believers to help them walk in their new relationship with you, to help them know what it means to live with purpose, to live a life that's not all about them, but to live their life in a way that honors you and honors others. In your name we pray and everyone said, amen. Amen. Hey, if you said that prayer today for the first time, I have a a copy of The Purpose Driven Life, and I'd love to get that in your hands today. I'll be outside after the service. Just come by and say, hey, I said that prayer today, and I'll I'll hand you that book. And that'll just be a a great first step into finding out how you can live a life that God has designed for you. Thank you so much for being here and worshiping with us today, and thank you so much for joining us online. Uh, We're gonna close in a time of response. I wanna invite all of you guys to stand and worship together with us.